What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast. I'm Justin Michael. It is late night, Sunday night, when I'm recording this. Earlier, I recorded a draft podcast with Jake Schwanitz. That will be in your feeds already. If you're an NFL draft nerd, I highly recommend you check that out. That podcast is always a lot of fun. But this podcast is going to be fun because we are going to build a CSU football roster at 2010 on. I just figured with the return of the NCAA football game, it would be fun to revisit this concept of all-time rosters. If you listened to the show a couple years ago, I actually did a whole series on this during the pandemic where I created an all-time CSU football roster, really went in-depth like four deep at most positions. It was a ton of research, but it was also a blast. I ended up making the roster on my Xbox 360 NCAA football 13. Killed a ton of hours playing that game in 2020. was about the only thing that kept me sane. Anyways, I thought it would be fun to revisit the concept, but I didn't want to do it exactly the same. So I just figured uh, we would talk about some of the best modern players. So last 15-ish years. To make it simple, I decided the cutoff was 2010. They had to be in a Rams uniform at some point from 2010 on. I will say that general talent is generally how I made the roster decisions, though it is a subjective process, and there are a couple guys I put on there just because I like them. And if I was creating a team, these are the people I would have picked. You might be able to make an argument that there was a certain player that got left off and I should have included them instead. Fair, I'm just telling you. It's my team, and I guess if you have beef, you could always create your own. Before we get into that roster, I did briefly want to talk about Javante Johnson. The New Mexico transfer is now official for CSU men's basketball. They announced his signing on the 19th. Got a quote here from the press release from Nico Medved. Javante is a high-level player we are excited to add to our roster. He comes in with a wealth of knowledge about the Mountain West after being a two-year starter at New Mexico. His game is a great fit for our system. In total, Johnson recorded 62 starts for the Lobos. He is a 35.5% three-point shooter for his career, though I think he has a good chance to be more around 40% this year. In 21-22, he shot 45.4% from deep, was really effective as a guy spacing the floor for New Mexico that season. And kind of like Clifford, the hope is that he can kind of rekindle that and reestablish himself now that he has a change of scenery at CSU. I mean, I think he can be really effective. He has 18 double-figure games over the past couple of years. Was really awesome in a game against Utah State in 2022. 23 points that day, 7-9 threes. I remember watching that game and thinking to myself, damn, really wish he wouldn't have gotten out of the state. Now, of course, it all comes full circle. He reunites with Neat Clifford, and Joel Scott is from the area as well, so it's kind of cool, the Colorado Springs trio. I know we've talked about all this in the past. don't want to be too repetitive. But the reason that I'm really intrigued by this signing class is I feel the staff just did a really good job of taking advantage of their established relationships. I've rambled many times about how adding transfers can be kind of a crapshoot, especially if you don't really know who they are as people. But with the case of Javante, Neek, Angel, Scott, Ali, Nico, they've known these guys for half a decade. And that's just such an advantage. But 
as they mentioned in the press release, so is being able to watch them up and close. You know, you got to see Neat Clifford firsthand when he played awesome against CSU. We've gotten to see Javante in the Mountain West. You know it's going to translate. And just based on what I've seen from those guys, especially Neat Clifford and Javante Johnson, I think the Rams are going to be much more athletic along the wing. I think defensively they're going to be significantly more impactful than some of the guys that were playing major minutes last year. I'm not trying to take any shots, but I just think this is a roster that's going to be better constructed to be competitive on that side. You've got more length. You've got more athleticism. You've got a ton of experience, and you're adding some guys that play with some toughness too, which I really am excited about because, frankly, there were just some moments where I felt like the Rams kind of got bullied last year Not necessarily the Mountain West tournament. I felt like they ended on a pretty strong note, but just throughout the regular season. I mean, the CU game's a great example. It was embarrassing. But I think the staff was really strategic with their recruiting process this offseason. I think the guys that they added, their ceilings are really high, and they're just good fits in the system. As I mentioned, in the 21-22 season, Javante Johnson shot 45% from deep. You're going to get a lot of good looks from deep in this system under Nico Medved. And if Isaiah comes back, you're going to get great looks. That's an underrated factor that I've brought up a couple of times on the podcast. When you look at guys like Javante Johnson uh, or Neat Clifford at CU, you know, how much were others creating for them? Jalen House is a guy who can kind of dish the rock a lot or can facilitate well, I should say. That would be a better way to phrase it. But there are also times with that UNM offense where the ball can really get stuck in the hands of House and Mashburn and it becomes a lot of ISO play, a lot of them dribbling the hell out of the ball. I mean, really, it's what you see in the NBA, kind of what Jamal Murray tends to do late in the games, closing out for Nuggets. The thing is, is it can be tough to stay in rhythm for everyone else. Most folks aren't Michael Porter Jr. They're not just going to cash an open three after not touching the basketball for minutes on end. You kind of need the ball in your hands every now and then just to be within the flow of the game. I really do think that is a psychological component, and I think it it keeps you more locked in on both ends, quite frankly. But that's where the benefit of playing with somebody like Isaiah Stevens comes into play. The ball is going to be moving. If you're open, he's going to get you those shots in rhythm. And I just feel that personally, both Javante Johnson and Neat Clifford are coming off of seasons where that both the structure of the systems that they were playing in and the teammates around them were not necessarily conducive to the success of those respective individuals. And I just think a change of scenery at CSU is really going to benefit them both. If Isaiah comes back, I think this team is good enough to make a legitimate run in the NCAA tournament. Sweet 16, why not? But if he doesn't come back, I still think this team is going to be much more competitive consistently And I just think the staff deserves significant praise for what they were able to do this offseason. I know that leading up to it, people were getting kind of restless because it took a while. But if you want to build a program the right way, if you want to be competitive consistently, win most years, you can't rush the process and you've got to stay true to your principles. And that's what this staff does such a great job of. They know what type of guys they want, and that includes talent on the court, but also a specific profile for the type of person that they are. They want high-character individuals, and they stay true to the process, which is why CSU has been much more consistent under Medved than, you know, some of the predecessors. 
Anyways, I'm going to move on. We're going to get to my CSU football roster for NCAA football. These are players 2010 on. But as excited as I am for the fall and football season, and I'm really stoked, I am ecstatic for the potential of basketball season, especially if Isaiah comes back. I mean, fingers crossed in that regard. But certainly excited to see how it all plays out. I've had a couple of people ask on Twitter if I would be able to get some of these basketball transfers on the pod. I am trying. I've reached out to them, but we shall see. That said, I will have some more of the CSU football transfers on the pod coming up here in the next week or so, so keep your eyes out for that. But real quick, Pins and Aces is the official golf apparel partner of All City and DNVR. We love our Pins and Aces gear and get tons of compliments on and off the course. They're a family-owned golf and apparel business based right here in Colorado. They make amazing polos, hats, golf bags, even our favorite beer sleeve. It's an innovative product that allows you to store seven beers right inside your golf bag, keep the drinks cool the entire round. Check out pinsandaces.com, use the code DNVR, get 15% off your first order, and get free shipping. That is pinsandaces.com. Also, Professional Rugby has returned to Rugby Town USA. Your hometown American Raptors have got a big-time match coming up on May 28th for the season finale against Cobras Brazil. You can come through DNVR uh, for a watch party. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you're trying to get into rugby, though, a great way is through the DNVR Rugby Podcast. Our guy Colton Strickler, CSU alumnus, is the host. Colton not only keeps you up to date with all things American Raptors and rugby around the globe, but he's got 101 podcasts, which is a great way for people who want to get into the sport but maybe don't have much background knowledge. He gets interviews with athletes and coaches, betting advice. I mean, it really is a one-stop shop for all things rugby. And my guy Colton knocks it out of the park every time. Tickets for Raptors matches are just $10. Children 12 and under are free. But if you can't make it out to Infinity Park, you can watch all the American Raptors matches live on ESPN+. And again, we will have a watch party on May 28th for the team's season finale against Cobras Brazil. That is at 12 p.m. See you in Rugby Town, USA. All right. Like many of you, I am absolutely geeked about the impending return of NCAA football. The hope was originally that we would have it for this football season, but it's looking like next summer, 2024, it will be back. My guess would be, just for the timing of it, the rosters will be based on this 2023 season, but I guess we'll see. All I know is that I'm going to spend way too many hours on this game. I'm going to just spend so much time on Dynasty mode. I love the recruiting aspects, building the teams, being able to land a five-star over Alabama, USC that always used to pump me up. But I'm really interested to see how they implement the modern aspects of college football into this game, the transfer portal, NIL. I can almost see a situation where the dynasty mode is so difficult to retain players because of the transfer process that it becomes almost not even fun. And that would be slightly ironic because I think that's probably how a lot of FBS coaches feel at the moment. Either way, though, I know I'm going to love the game. NCAA football is my favorite video game of all time. Admittedly, I'm not like a gamer gamer. I would get whooped on just about any game by anybody that is seriously into this stuff other than NCAA football, like Call of Duty, Halo. I was very mediocre always, but I could give you the business in NCAA football. Pretty decent at Mario Kart. Loved Guitar Hero. Wasn't that great at it, but I just thought it was fun. Anyways, I know none of you care about all this, so let's stop rambling. 
Let's get into it. Let's talk about this roster I have constructed. Again, the parameters are they had to play for CSU uh, 2010 on. For the most part, just try to go with who I thought were the best overall players at those positions, but there were a couple of judgment decisions that I made based on personal preference, and I'll do my best to articulate why I did so. So never going to be perfect, never going to be able to please everyone because it's just too subjective. Uh, That said, let's go ahead and get on into it here. We're not going to go four deep at every position like we did in 2020, and we all had much more free time during the pandemic. I'm just going to give the starters for the most part. I'll go two deep at quarterback, running back, some stuff like that. But we're going to start in the trenches because the big boys up front never get enough love, and I'm going to try and get them some glory here. They most certainly deserve it. At left tackle, we've got Ty Sambrilo. 48 career games played in a Rams uniform, 42 of which were starts. A second-team All-Mountain West selection in 2013, a first-team All-Mountain West selection in 2014, ultimately drafted in the second round by the Denver Broncos. Didn't work out for him in Denver, but ultimately went on to have a nice career with Atlanta in Tennessee, actually scored a touchdown, which is unsurprising if you know his background, 6'5", 315 pounds coming out of CSU, but he was a guy that could do backflips on skis, which is just wild. During his time at CSU, obviously a key protector for Garrett Grayson in those offenses in 2013 and 2014 that were just dominant. In 2014, he missed two games after getting injured in the opener against CU, but in the games that he played, graded out above 90% every single game, registered more than 60 knockdown blocks, was just a beast mauling dudes out there. To give you an idea of how good that offense really was, they converted on 48.9% of third down attempts. That was 10th best in the FBS, and it was a school record as well, as was the 480.9 yards of total offense per game that they averaged shattered the previous record, which was set in 2013. Funny enough, they averaged 470.8 yards that year, and that's why they're well represented on this team. Uh, Speaking of which... At center, we've got Weston Richburg. He played and started in 50 games for the Rams before he was ultimately a second-round pick by the New York Giants. Weston was selected first-team All-Mountain West multiple times in his career, widely regarded as one of the smartest players in program history. This one was a no-brainer. He's probably the best center in CSU football history. No offense to my guy Jake Bennett. You know I love you. But yeah, this one was easy. At right tackle, a little bit more challenging. There there were a couple of guys I considered, but I actually went with Barry Wesley. And yes, I'm biased. Yes, y'all know that I love the kid to death. But the reason I went with Barry, outside of him just being a cool story, I think the concept of being a walk-on turned multi-year starter is everything that college football should be about. Also, though, he brings some versatility. I mean, he started at both tackle positions, both guard spots in his career, took some reps at center even. I know I've got the blind side protected with Ty at left tackle. If I've got Barry at right tackle, I feel confident just really leaning behind him uh, in the ground game. Keeping it moving, going to the first guard spot. We're going to go with Zach Goldich, Colorado kid, uh, first team All-Mountain West selection in 2017. 
And a guy that played a lot of games in a Rams uniform, made 38 starts during his career, was a big part of those really efficient offenses in 2016 and 2017. Those groups could run the hell out of the football. They could beat you through the air. I mean, folks kind of forget just because of the way that 2017 ended so disappointingly, but Nick Stevens finished top 15 in passing yards and Dalen Dawkins was top 20 in rushing yards in the country. That all starts with the big boys up front. All right, for the final guard spot, initially I was going to go Fred Zerbliss, and I do think you can make a great argument for him, but I'm actually going to make an audible on the fly, and I'm going to move Barry Wesley to guard. I know I just said I would have him at right tackle. I still love the versatility that that he brings, and that could come in handy in a game if you need to throw him out at tackle. He can kind of be that swing guy for you. But if I put him at guard, I think I'm going to put Trey Moxley at right tackle and just have more size. I guess you could also make an argument for Jacob Gardner too. Or you know what I'm going to do here? I'm just going to stay true. I'm going to keep Barry at right tackle, just ignore what I just said. And we're going to put Jake Bennett at right guard, and we're just going to have a strong Bear Creek presence on this roster because I'm a Bear Creek guy. And I think Jake is one of the savvier football players. I think he could have started at guard had he not started at center. I'm just going to cheat a little bit and make it easier on myself that way. All right, we'll get to the offensive skill positions here. Uh, Real quick, fullback, we'll just make it easy. Adam Prentice, he's the man. Stylistically, I don't know how much he would get used on my team just because I would probably be closer to the air raid or you know a spread offense something where I can take advantage of all these great receivers and and tight ends but if it's fourth and one I'm going fullback dive and I want it to be Prentice I want those beefy arms carrying the football I want him dropping his shoulder on somebody looking like an old school Peyton Hillis All right, we're going to keep this rolling, but Breckenridge Brewery has a beer for any occasion there's no better way to watch a game than having some ice cold Breck brew They've been doing it for 32 years, and it all comes down to their love and passion for making good beer. They're made with 100% renewable energy, which you've got to love. You've also got to love the endless variety that they offer. You can't go wrong. You really can't. I mean, summer seltzer season, Mountain Beach Sour, those are some of my personal favorites. They have a new summer shandy, which is awesome. But just the classic Avalanche Amber Ale, it's going to hit every single time. Pairs well with food. It's a good winter beer, a good summer beer. It's just a good beer. Check out the beer locator at breckbrew.com. Find a brew near you. Also, take on the sun with gear that's built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even day one, they're going to send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. You can shop the entire collection at their brand new location in the Park Meadows Mall, a full stop shop for all things Shady Rays. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, you can exchange for a new pair or return them free within 30 days. Again, there's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays has given out the best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com, use the code DNVR for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the Shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. All right, I am realizing now that if it took me that long to get through the offensive line, there's a decent chance I'm going to have to split this podcast into two parts for your guys' sake. We'll see, though. I guess maybe I will move a little bit faster here. 
but I don't want to just like rip through the defense. That'd be no fun. Um, we're going to do quarterbacks last. I'm going to make you wait that one out, at least on this offensive portion. We're at tight end right now. And I mean, tight end one, is it even a d- debate? Trey McBride, greatest tight end in program history, greatest tight end in the history of this state, I would say, at least at the collegiate level. I mean, he has some pretty decent competition in Joel Dreesen and Daniel Graham. There have been plenty of other great tight ends that have come through CSU over the years. Kevon Cartwright, you can look at Crockett Gilmore, Kelly McGregor. I mean, even Dalton Fackrell had a pretty nice run at CSU. But tight end one is Trey McBride. I don't even think you can argue it. His 2021 season was just absurd. A unanimous All-American, second-round draft pick. But beyond the accolades and beyond his physical abilities, which are just incredible, his ability to catch the ball with his hands is, is so much better than so many tight ends. And it sounds simple, but watch watch so many of these big-bodied guys are catching the ball with their chest, and that's not what you want to do. And that was an area where Trey was just always so smooth. He's a good route runner, pretty much unguardable. They knew he was going to get the football, and they still couldn't cover him. But beyond all that, and obviously his resume is pretty freaking strong already, Beyond all that, it's just what he meant to CSU and the fact that he stayed committed to this program through the dark times that he didn't transfer out. He just meant so much to CSU. And he's one of the few players that I think genuinely you could make an argument he should have his number retired. Usually I'll zag with that type of stuff. I think in sports far too often there are guys getting their number retired, especially at the pro level. And that's something that should be reserved for the truly elite not even just great like i'm talking elite they have to mean something even more than than their talents on the football field the elways of the world and trey's not quite elway status obviously but i would say he's the only player in the 21st century that you could make the real argument for and that's not a slight on anyone you know not a slight on higgins or Gallup or shack or anyone you want to name but between his hardware and his legacy, what he means to CSU football, Trey's just kind of in his own conversation. So another no-brainer. If you want to go too deep at tight end, I think that's a little bit more interesting. I personally lean Crockett Gilmore, even though he probably brought less to the table as a receiver than some of the other guys you could throw out there. Certainly not a guy you're going to stretch the field with vertically, but I don't really need that with all the talent I'm going to have out wide at wide receiver and the fact that I have Trey McBride. So I I think it's got to be Crockett. And just even if he isn't quite as natural of a pass catcher as some of these other guys, the attitude that he played with and the swagger, he was just really cool, really intimidating presence with the eye black and the bandana. Kind of had some Corey Sperry vibes. You know, if we weren't limited to 2010 on, Corey Sperry would be my other tight end selection. But because we have the the parameters, I'm, I'm going with Crockett Gilmore. He was always really cool, like just one of the very genuine players on the roster, despite the fact that, you know, he was going to go on to the NFL and he was kind of a, a big man on campus, both literally and figuratively. He could not have been nicer. And as a young intern for CSU football back then, you know, that stood out to me. Guys like him, Ty Sambrilo, Weston Richburg, Shaquille Barrett, they just, they could not have been more gracious, more humble, uh, respectful. They didn't have to be. 
Like I could not be lower on the totem pole. I did not matter. And I was usually just annoying them when they would come in the office with questions about, you know, the team they were going to play next. But those are some good dudes. Those are some really good dudes. All right. At wide receiver, this is where it gets really interesting. And I'm just going to start off by saying I left Preston Williams off my team. And it was a personal decision. Um, It has to do with just the way he carried himself while he was here. Not that I have anything against him personally, but I don't feel that he was quite as committed. Some of the stories that I've heard from his teammates are just wild regarding the preferential treatment he got. And despite the fact that he has all the talent in the world, I mean, at one point, the number one wide receiver recruit in the country before he signed with Tennessee, he's just a guy who, frankly, was selfish and kind of lazy. And considering the amount of talented receivers that have come through this program since 2010 that also had stellar work ethic, I'm going to pick them because I have more respect for that. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Again, really nothing personal against Preston. It's just I know some things and I knew these other guys and I saw how much they grinded. I know how much CSU meant to some of these other receivers and I wouldn't necessarily say that's the same case with Preston. And uh, that that carries a lot of weight with me. So starting wide receiver one, uh, Michael Gallup, the most talented receiver, I think, physically that I've seen just in terms of body control, the things he could do in the air. He's as physically gifted as any player that has ever come through the program. And it's not surprising that he dominated in 2016 and 2017. I still feel like he gets slept on with the Cowboys. But the thing that always really resonated with me when it comes to being around Michael Gallup was just how kind he was, how humble he was. I mean, he wasn't a huge trash talker. And that dude busted his ass every single rep in practice. So not only did he have the talent and physical abilities, but he had the work ethic and drive to truly be great. And I just have the utmost respect for him as a football player and as a man. So he would be my wide receiver one. I'm a wide receiver 1A Richard Hollywood Higgins, the cleanest route runner to come through CSU. My man was robbed of the Bolitnikoff in 2014 after having one of the all-time great seasons by a receiver. But just another guy that worked incredibly hard, maybe not quite as physically gifted as Michael Gallup or Preston Williams, just in terms of raw athleticism. But the chemistry that he was able to develop with Garrett Grayson during that couple-year stretch was just absurd. And I think the biggest credit that I can give to Richard Higgins is that he always stepped up in the biggest games, you know, wins over CU, the homecoming win against Utah State in 2014. Everybody knows he's getting the ball trying to set up that that field goal attempt by Jared Roberts. Doesn't matter. He goes up and makes a play. Even the Air Force loss, which still kills me, just absolutely guts me. He had a monster day. They could not cover him. And I would say that Reflecting back on that 2014 run, watching Richard Higgins is as much fun as I've ever had watching any CSU football player. I mean, he's up there for me with the BVPs of the world just in terms of pure joy that they brought me. I've got autographed photos of both of those guys in my desk. That's how much they mean to me sentimentally. And he's just a guy that I don't know how you couldn't love. He had the talent. He had the stats, the accolades, all that. He was conducive to winning football, but he'd just be out there dropping 200 yards on some defense with a big old smile on his face the whole time, and it was so endearing. 
All right, for the third and final wide receiver spot in the starting lineup, this one I really struggled with because guys like B.C. Johnson, who I had personal connections with, uh, Warren Jackson was tight with, you know, can't go wrong that way. I love Joe Hansley. I think he's underrated. But I, I went with Torrey Horton because that's how good I think he is. On three recently had some rankings where they had him as the number nine overall wide receiver going into the 2023 season, top 75 player in the country overall. But I think Torrey's ceiling is as high as any of these guys. He's obviously a deep threat. There's not really 50-50 balls around him. It's more like 75-25 in favor of Horton. And just the fact that he was able to put up these massive numbers last year, despite the fact that he played with four different quarterbacks behind an offensive line that was just being mixed and matched on a weekly basis, that's a testament to how good he was because, I mean, they knew he was their only option. And teams still couldn't stop him from making an impact. So that's just, that speaks to how good he is in keeping with the theme of players that are not only talented, but go about their business the right way. Torrey Horton, another dude who just grinds day in and day out. The staff is constantly hyping him up, and you can see it too. He just does everything the right way, and it's why I think he's going to ultimately be drafted in the first three rounds. I think he has a good chance to be a second-round pick, and that's why he rounds out my receivers. So could you imagine that group? Torrey Horton, Richard Higgins, Michael Gallup, Trey McBride on the field all at one time. Good luck. Good luck, bruv. Especially when I've got... Capri Bibbs coming out of the backfield. That is who my starting running back would be. I went back and forth. I loved Dalen Dawkins. He was a guy that I just really enjoyed watching. I loved how hard he ran despite his size. I think the versatility that he brought as a pass catcher was probably an area where he was a little bit more impactful than Capri. But between the tackles, man, Capri was a dog. And that 2013 season is just unreal. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I don't know if I ever will again. He had over 1,700 yards and 31 rushing touchdowns, and he didn't even start every game that season. Like, he had some real issues with McIlwain and the staff, and they didn't trust him, especially early on. It took almost until halfway through the season before Capri really became the certified starting running back one, like getting the bell cow type load. The numbers, when you look back, though, were just insane. In his first five starts, he averaged 202 yards and 3.8 touchdowns. In total, he had 1,010 yards and 19 touchdowns over that five-game stretch. The Rams went 4-1. and one. In a two-week stretch against Nevada and New Mexico, he rushed for 603 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's a pretty good season for most guys that he casually put up in a two-week span. Just an insane run, and it'll forever kill me to think what if he would have come back in 2014. D-Hart was great that year, but he was not Capri. And I don't know. You just you think maybe if they have him in that Air Force game, maybe if they have him against Boise State, that ends up being the difference because those, those teams were so deep, and they threw the ball so well. They were so balanced. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, I suppose. But the final offensive position we've got, quarterback. I know you guys have been waiting for it. I really struggled with this and I've changed my mind about 15 times because the way that Garrett Grayson was able to run that offense was masterful. They were surgical on third down in the red zone. 
he was the starter for what was the most successful stretch in the modern history. All of that makes it an easy argument for his case as QB1. I think Colin Hill might be the most physically gifted quarterback that I've seen up close and personal, though. And I'm really tempted to pick him because of that. He's always going to be the great what-ifs for CSU. What if he just could have stayed healthy? How differently would we look back on the Bobo era? How much more successful would the Rams have been? It's tough to say, but I mean, even looking back at the start of 2019 and how that offense was rolling, sure, they lost the showdown, but it wasn't because of the offense. I think if Colin Hill stays healthy, they win that game in Fayetteville. They sure as shit don't lose to Toledo and San Diego State at home. Completely changed the dynamic of multiple seasons, having him go down. Ultimately, I guess I'd still go with Grayson, just because that time period was so much fun. Those those Rams brought me so much joy. I got to work for the team, so I have you know a special place for that group in my heart. And it's not like I'm trying to sell Garrett short here or anything like that. He was brilliant. He has all the hardware. That's why he was a third-round pick, why somebody as brilliant as Sean Payton believed in him. But it is an interesting thought exercise, I guess, just comparing the potential. It's hard to quantify. But I don't think you can just go by raw statistics for determining who you would always pick for this kind of stuff because there's a lot of factors at play. Statistically speaking, Nick Stevens holds you know just about every record. Do I think he's the best quarterback in school history? No. Do I think he's a good quarterback? Yes. For much of his career, I was defending him and talking about how I felt like he was underrated because while he maybe didn't have the arm talent of Grayson, certainly of Colin Hill, he ran that offense well and he had good chemistry with the receivers. He made good decisions with the football. He was the right guy for the job at that time. But they're just guys that I would I would rather have than him. It's not a shot. It's not me trying to diminish what he accomplished or anything like that. Thought he was a great player. Thought he was great to cover. All of that. But if you're picking two quarterbacks post-2010, for me, it's Garrett Grayson and Colin Hill. Which one you start, that's that's tough. But those are the two that I would pick just in terms of their ability to run the offense, also what they could do physically. I mean, Garrett, before he got hurt, was a guy that was kind of a dual threat. Turned into more of a precision pocket passer out of necessity, but he was pretty impressive athletically. And a guy, when you were up close, was bigger and stronger than, you know, he maybe looked in pads behind that big offensive line. So that's my offense. We're going to go over the defense next. I figure breaking it up would be better than just breezing through it here over the last couple of minutes. I want to be able to kind of go in depth for some of these guys like I did on the offensive side. We'll talk about the specialists as well. I will keep the fun rolling on part two. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. <laughs> 